Well, good morning. Morning, and welcome to Sweetwater Christian Church. Uh, welcome everyone joining us online. We're glad that you could worship with us as well. I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad to be with you to share the love and word of God with you this morning. Uh, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord for receptive hearts and minds to receive his love and word this morning. Pray with me. God, we come before you. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that receive your love and word this morning. I pray that everything I made up would fall on the ground or on deaf ears, and everything that you have to say to us this morning would be received with gladness and joy. We pray that each and every day you will shape us and mold us into the shape of your Son, our friend, our savior, our brother. It's in his name we pray, amen. Okay, today is the last day of our Onward series. For the last couple of weeks and now today, uh, we've been looking at what forward looks like for us as a church family. Uh, We're a church family that has seen a lot of change over the last two to three years. Uh, Really, just about every church in America has seen a lot of change over the last two to three years. But we're a church family that needs some fresh vision, Uh, a vision that isn't trying to just help us survive. Uh, And although we're not totally out of the woods on some things, this is a church that God has a lot more plans for. Um, We need a vision, a a lane to travel in and a floor to launch from that isn't born out of our anxiety of staying afloat, but embraces who we are so that we can move forward into those plans that God has for us as a community. Um, Something simple, not overbearing, not something that sets unrealistic expectations Uh, unrealistic goals, or that's based on the latest formula, just worshiping Jesus Christ out of who we are as a community. That's it. That's it. It's simple. There's all kinds of formulas and flowcharts and books and studies that tell you how to grow a church, that tell you how to get more donations, how to get more engagement with people. And those things are good and they can help. But what we need right now is different from what those things offer. What we need is identity. And I'm convinced that those things will take care of themselves if we just had the right understanding of ourselves. We need to know who we are and what God has shaped Sweetwater Christian Church to be. Uh, We need something contextual and personalized with the faces of the people in this room in mind. And so over the last seven months, I've gotten to know all of you, this church, both who we've been in the past and who we are today. And I've had the benefit of an outsider's perspective. I'm becoming more and more of an insider the the longer the months go on. But over the last seven months, I've had an outside perspective as I've watched us interact and I've watched us worship. Uh, And I took these things to the Lord and he gave me this picture. And we are a church that communes with God, loves one another, and serves the world. 
That's who we are at Sweetwater Christian Church. And today we call out that at Sweetwater Christian Church, we serve the world. Uh, This is where things get really fun, (laughs) in my opinion. Uh, The opportunities and the challenges are endless. Uh, This is where we get to see how communion with God and loving one another expresses itself in our community. Uh, As Jesus said in our text a couple of weeks ago, if we remain in the vine, we will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And service to others isn't the only shape that that fruit takes. But I have a strong sense that here at Sweetwater Christian Church, our hearts flutter for service to others. We have a certain interest in that. Uh, A lot of churches are inward focused, and that is not a criticism, actually. We need brothers and sisters who go deeper with God on a personal level, the mystics, the contemplatives, uh, the scholars, and we like those things too, absolutely. But I've noticed this about us here, that serving others is a natural desire. It's something that we don't have to work hard to want to do. Uh, Just since I've been here, I've watched us give 1,800 meals in the form of cereal boxes. I've seen us take $3,000 worth of toys to needy moms and kids for Christmas. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard the words, East Fort Bend Human Needs Ministry. Because God has already made us good at serving. He has shaped us into people who are good at this, but we also have room to grow. Uh, We will be in Matthew 25, 21 through 40. Uh, So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bible's in front of you, under you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. If you want to learn how to use the Bible, email me. We'll set up a time together. Matthew 25, uh, 31 through 40. 31 through 40. Yeah, 31 through 40, not 21 through 40. My apologies. Uh, For context, this passage is nestled into one of the five major discourses in Matthew. So the book of Matthew is really split up into these five sections, and they're basically five discourses, five interactions between disciples, other people, and Jesus, Uh, these five interactions. And this is the fifth one. This is the last one, the fifth discourse, and it's called the Olivet Discourse because it happens on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Um, And it happens there because Jesus is just about to be betrayed, arrested, and murdered. Uh, So like our last two passages in the book of John, where Jesus is telling his disciples important things, last things that he'll ever teach them, this is the same context. Uh, It's just a different setting where Matthew puts it. Uh, So this Olivet Discourse, Jesus talks a lot about the end of all things, like the end of all things, Uh, the final judgment, what's going to happen at the end of everything. Uh, There's lots of parables like the 10 virgins and the 10 uh, uh, talents and the fig tree. And Jesus ends this Olivet Discourse with how he's going to decide if everything ends up well for us or not. That's how he ends this discourse. Uh, So you'll probably recognize this passage because Jesus starts talking about sheeps and goats. Um, 
and what makes someone a sheep or a goat or not? And he tells us the answer. And so we'll pick up uh, with that. Uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 40. I'm reading from the NRSV this morning. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And Jesus goes on to tell his disciples how it ends poorly, how you end up being a goat, which is you do the exact opposite of these things that he's listed. If we don't feed the hungry, if we don't quench the thirsty, if we don't welcome strangers, the Greek word is xenos, foreigners, literally, if we have an aversion to foreigners, uh, if we don't clothe the naked or visit the sick or the imprisoned, if we are averse to these things, then it can't well for it, because service to others is service to Jesus. And service to Jesus is eternal life. Serving others and serving Christ are completely inseparable from one another. And it's our job and joy to be a servant of many. You remember St. Augustine, right? St. Augustine. Uh, He's the bad guy turned theologian in North Africa in the 300s. He says this about serving others. Let us not disdain from being a servant of many because the Lord of Lords did not disdain to serve us. When we serve others, we are not only serving Jesus, but we're also imitating Jesus who served us. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And part of being uh, shaped into the image of Jesus means serving other people, particularly people who have it worse off than we do. People who have less than us. People who aren't as well positioned as us. One thing that I've noticed over just I guess, my Christian walk in myself and in other brothers and sisters that I've uh, had the privilege of being in community in, one thing I've noticed is a tendency to be pulled uh, to one of two extremes, Uh, being with God and doing things for God. Uh, There's a really good book called The Deeply Formed Life that talks about this idea. And what I notice in myself is that I have a tendency to 
be with God. Um, Meaning I like to read theology. I like contemplation. I like to think. I like to learn. I like to be with other people that I see God in. I like to be with God. Um, I'm just hardwired that way. And I have to be intentional about doing things for God. And some people are wired just the opposite way. Some people are wired to do things for God. It's just natural for you to volunteer, show up for food drives, go door to door and talk about Jesus, uh, give generously of your time and resources, take care of the church building, invite strangers to church on Sunday. Some of us are just more naturally wired to do things for God. And you have to be intentional about being with God. And so, we're all just kind of somewhere on that spectrum. Communion with God, being with God, is absolutely necessary. But communion with God must express itself. And at this church, it expresses itself in loving one another and serving the world. Now, we could have said serve Sugarland. We could have said serve Houston. And... Honestly, I like the specificity of that. And honestly, that's where we're going to start. But I think God is pushing us a little bit further than that. I think he wants us to forget about how small we are and think about how great he is and trust him and dream big about our service to others. Dream big about our service to him. I just get this feeling that It's like God is giving us permission to be creative and excited about doing what we're already good at, pushing us a little bit further so that we can grow, filling that shape that he has molded us into by dreaming about serving the hungry and the disenfranchised and the forgotten in our own county and dreaming about serving the hungry and the disenfranchised and the forgotten in some place you've never heard of. Service to others is service to Jesus. And Jesus is telling us in this text that whenever we feed someone in Jakarta or visit a local prisoner or a sick orphan or widow in Ghana or welcome a foreigner into our homes or into a church that we planted in Japan or Argentina, when we do these things for the overlooked And the ignored, Jesus looks back at us with overwhelming pride and he says, that's me you did that to. You did that to me. The hungry, the thirsty, the foreign, the poor, the imprisoned, and the sick are the most Jesus-y people in the world, whether they know it or not, because when Jesus looks at those people, he says, that's me. That's me. When you serve that person, you serve me. And it's our job and joy to serve the overlooked and the ignored, the hungry, the thirsty, the foreign and the poor in Sugarland and across the world. Because what it really comes down to is when we serve them, we are serving Jesus Christ himself and growing into that shape that he has made us into. That's the theology side of it. Okay, that's serving others is serving and imitating Jesus. That's theology. A life balanced between being with God and doing things for God. But there's also a practical side of this that is a little more contextual to us. 
if serving the world is something that we're going to do, then we're going to need some practical things. And I admit uh, that when I preach, I often find it very difficult uh, to come up with practical things for us to do. It's just the way I'm wired. You remember, I'm, I lean toward being with God. And so I could just sit around with a bunch of theology, uh, very little life application, and be happy forever. I really could, honestly. Uh, but not everyone is like that. And I acknowledge my own need to put theology on wheels so it can actually go somewhere. It's something I'm working on. But something like serving is as practical as you can get. Uh, And so I think it's important to think about what service is. And I think it's really important to understand that things don't have to be big in order for them to be service. Uh, I know I'm really bookish. I recommend books a lot, but uh, one of the most formative books I've ever read was this book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, You've probably heard of it. If you haven't, uh, you can borrow mine. But it's just a book that goes through spiritual disciplines like worship and prayer and fasting and solitude and prayer. uh, And it teaches us to celebrate those things and to love those things. And so uh, closer to the end of the book is this celebration of the discipline of service. And Richard Foster writes some of the most beautiful and practical and loving things about serving other people in this little chapter. And what I learned from this book is that true service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large. True service doesn't really know the difference between feeding a thousand people and donating one can of soup. It doesn't know the difference between giving a thousand dollars or a handful of change. It doesn't favor rebuilding a house after a hurricane or fixing a drippy faucet in one of the bathrooms. There is no big or small service. There is only self-service or true service. Self-service is born out of selfish motivation and true service is born out of communion with God. Self-service is highly concerned with the results and expects reciprocity. But true service often goes unnoticed and unthanked. It can be in the spotlight, but it doesn't seek it. And I'm telling us this because a life of serving the world sounds really big. And dreaming about serving lots of people sounds really big. And thinking of not just our county, but other countries sounds really big. And I think God is giving us a lot of room to grow in those 100% but things don't have to be big for them to be service to Jesus. They just need to be true. They just need to be true. Welcoming the service of Jesus whenever it presents itself, around the corner and around the world. What is important and formational for us to remember is that serving Jesus is our end goal. Simple. Do you want to know what the best picture I could find on the internet of service was this right here. It's right here. It's um, moving over so the live stream people can see. Uh, what is this a picture of? It's, it's a candle that's lit offering its flame to candles that aren't. Offering its flame to candles that aren't. That's what service is. 
When we commune with God, we have something to offer. And service is simply humbly offering what we have to people who don't. You can't give what you don't have. But what we do have, we humbly offer to those who don't have it. That's what service is, small or big. I will mention that there is another kind of service that kind of ties in with loving one another uh, from last week. And Richard Foster calls this the service of being served, being humble enough to be a person Jesus identifies with and receive service when you need it, acknowledging the kingdom authority and another brother or sister and allowing them to be a service to you. That's another kind of service, but it's all the same humbly offering what you have to those who don't have it. Prayer, food, money, support, a truck, your time, energy, a listening ear. When we serve others, we are serving Jesus. So how do we get started? How do we get started? How do we get started loving one another and serving the world in a practical way? Well, here's the cool thing. We already started. Uh, We actually officially started on December 12th. On December 12th, this congregation voted on this year's budget. And one of the biggest and most exciting changes of this year's budget, uh, and that's different from all the budgets that we've had, is the institution of the love and serve budget. Love and serve. Where... 10% of all the tithes and offerings that we bring in as a church are dedicated to ministry, both internally and externally. Uh, If one of our members falls on hard times, can't pay a bill, uh, needs a resource they don't have, wants to go on a mission trip, wants to give to somebody else anonymously, car breaks down, whatever, we're going to offer what we have when we don't have it or when they don't have it. Uh, The serve part, the external part, is anything that we can dream up with God. Blessing a nonprofit, blessing an individual, uh, feeding the hungry, generating a clothes drive, simply giving it away, investing it into people who can teach others, uh, funding water wells, building a house in Mexico, lawn care for the elderly, a mission trip. We're going to offer what we have when someone else doesn't have it. Uh, We're going to serve the world and do it for the least of these, the overlooked and the ignored, uh, the most Jesus-y people on earth, whether they know it or not. And we're going to do it with the unconditional love of Jesus. Uh, Everyone is on the table. No one is excluded from the love of Jesus, and therefore no one is going to be excluded from our service. Uh, We'll serve whoever is overlooked and ignored either by the church or by society. The elderly, disabled, the LGBTQ community, the abused, the poor, the hungry. We just got to dream it up with God. And along with the Love and Serve budget is the newly formed Love and Serve Committee. It is chaired by Gerald Brown, who is one of our elders, and we are looking for people who want to be on that committee to help our church find 
ways of serving the world, both big and small. If you're interested in being on that committee, let me know or let Gerald know. He's not here this morning, but you can talk to me about that. So if you're naturally a do things for God kind of person, I hope you're getting excited about what forward looks like for our church. Um, And I hope really what it leads you into is a deeper life of being with God. And if you're like me, a bit more of a homebody who likes his books and his comfort, I will join you in praying for God to gently disrupt us for the sake of more balanced lives of service to others. A life of true service that when Jesus sees it, he wells up and he says, you did that to me. Commune with God, love one another, serve the world. This is our lane to travel in. It's our floor to launch from. It's simple. It's personalized. These are the things that by the grace of God, we are already good at. And by the guidance of the word and the Holy Spirit, we will continue to grow into. And personally, I'm pretty excited. Uh, We have a structure to rally around and build upon. Uh, We're moving away from interacting with God out of a place of anxiety and self-preservation and into communing with him from a place of rest, discovery, and rediscovery. And out of that communion with God, we're loving one another, fulfilling the law of Christ and shouldering each other's burdens and sometimes being burdensome ourselves. And we're serving the world with acts of service, no matter how big or small, and dreaming up ways to express our communion with God by simply offering what we have to others who don't. After 47 years, in many ways, God is just getting started with Sweetwater Christian Church. And it's our job and joy to commune, love, and serve with him. Let's pray, and then we'll have communion together. God, we love you. We ask for the grace to fill in these big shoes that you've got for us. Lord, we thank you that you've molded us into this shape. We thank you that you have a specific purpose and a specific Uh, specific things in mind for us as a congregation. We submit to your will. We ask for grace. Father, in the words of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. We love you. Ask for the grace to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.